Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Our topic today is the Word of God. Everyone say that with me, please. The Word of God. And Father, as we open your book, we just ask that you would change us forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever heard of William Tyndale? Yes. William Tyndale was a ghost. This is uh, his lifespan. This is a drawing of William Tyndale. He was a ghost because what he was doing was incredibly dangerous. And he knew it probably cost him his life. And so this Englishman who was quite a um, scholar. He moved to Belgium quietly. No one knew where he lived. No one knew his address. And his illegal activity was he was translating the Bible into English. Can you imagine? So that's why he was a ghost. Doing quietly his translation work. You see, Tyndale was raised a Catholic, as many people in his age. And while he was studying at Oxford, he had an encounter with the living Christ and became a much more devout follower and became a Protestant. The Bible came alive to him after that encounter. You see, previously in England, the only Languages the Bible was available in was Greek, Latin, or Hebrew. And he was a scholar. He knew all three languages. The clergy were the only ones, priests, only ones who could read the Bible. The Bible was not available. The thought in the church at the time was, if you were not a priest, you were not smart enough to read the Bible for yourself. It was demonic. It was absolutely demonic. So William Tyndale's vision was to translate the Bible into every man's language there in Great Britain. And this is maybe his most famous quote. I'm planning to cause a poor plowboy working in the field to do more about the Bible than the Pope does. Now that's quite a goal. This is a copy of the translation of the New Testament into English, the very first translation. A copy sold sometime back, and I think it was sold for $46,000. It took Tyndale another 10 years to translate the Old Testament, he just stayed at it. 
methodical. He was a plotter. Ultimately, he was lured back to his homeland, to England, under false pretenses. And when he got there, he was arrested. He was imprisoned and found guilty of heresy. He was sentenced to death by strangulation at age 42. And let me show you how hated he was. After he was dead, they tied his corpse to a pole and burned his corpse to ashes to make an example. Do you know why he was executed? It's because the devil hates the Bible. The devil does not want people to have the Bible, to read the Bible, to memorize, and live the Bible. The enemy hates the Bible because he knows it's the scriptures that change people's lives. We have a battle today in our country. The enemy wants to take the Bible out of people's hands, just out of sheer neglect. And Tyndale counted the cost because he knew if he did what was in his heart, sooner or later they would catch him and they would execute him, and they did. But let me tell you why he did it. He wanted to give the eternal word of God into the hands of the English-speaking world so the English-speaking world could be blessed. Now, people wrongly believe that the English-speaking world has been blessed for a lot of reasons, but let me tell you there's one reason it's been blessed. It's because they've had the word of God. And this country, for hundreds of years, has been blessed because we've had the word of God. Now, if a family or a denomination, or a church, or a husband, or a youth group decides to let go of and release the Bible, here's what happens. You go from, thus says the Lord, everyone say with me, thus says the Lord, to... This is what I think. And that's where our country is today. Judges talks about there was a time where every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that only brings ruin and heartache. Now, when I was age 20, I was a sophomore at Oral Roberts University and I was in a class a class on uh, studying the Bible. I remember the professor, Steve Dursoff. He was Russian background. And he asked in that class of 300, how many students had read the Bible all the way through? And if they'd read it all the way through, ask them to stand up. 
And immediately half the class, 150 college students stood up. Then he said, if you've read it through at least twice, I want you to remain standing. Everybody else, sit down. Guess what? I was embarrassed. Because I couldn't stand. I had been a Christian 24 months and had not read the Bible all the way through. I started on that date and said, no one will ever, ever ask me that question without me saying, yes, I have read the Bible all the way through. The first time, it took me two years to do it. And I've done it essentially every year for 49 years. So I'm going to ask you the question. If you've read the Bible all the way through, not you think, or there's a good chance... You've read the Bible all the way through. I want you to stand right now. Stand up right where you are. Stand up right where you are. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, be seated. I'm a competitive little rascal. I just went dead gummit. So here's my suggestion. I suggest you don't just read it through one time a year. I suggest you read it through every single year For the rest of your life. Why, Steve? I'm going to explain it to you. Now, the writer of Hebrews starts this verse out, verse 4, saying the word of God. Everyone say the word of God is living. Everyone says living. You know what that means? It's unlike any other book. It's different than any other book. There is no book like it because it's living. What do you mean it's living? When you open the Bible, the presence of God shows up. The presence of God comes into the room where you are because it's living. That means it is full of life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and might have it what? Abundant life. I want you to thrive. I want you to do well. So, if you are reading the scriptures on a consistent basis, if you are full of the scriptures, you are full of the life. Also, the scripture says that it's God-breathed. Everyone say God-breathed. Now, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul writes this. All scripture... That means everything. All scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word for inspired means breathed. The breath of God is there. And it's profitable. Now whatever you do this next year in the stock market and buying rental property and uh, raising dogs. I don't know what you do. Whatever you do, this is the most profitable thing you can do with your time. So it's living and it's active. Everyone say the word active. What do you mean active? Well, the Greek word for active is in air gaze. In air gaze. It's where we get the word energy. It produces energy. There's an energy of itself. There's a power of itself. Here I was, a drunk 18-year-old outside of a bar, 
There was two street preachers sharing the gospel in a college town. I don't know what happened. My heart got pierced. My heart got pierced by the word of God. I, was, I didn't receive Christ, but I knew I, I needed to do something. It's effective for change. It supplies the motivation for righteousness because it's active. One of the greatest needs we have is not necessarily more knowledge, is the motivation to obey the Lord. If you struggle with depression, if you struggle with discouragement, if you struggle with self-confidence, reading the scripture will feed you, strengthen your mind, your emotions, your will. It'll heal practically everything in your heart and your mind if you consistently read the scriptures. It's living, it's active. And if you take prayer... Coupled with scripture reading, it will provide a strength for you like nothing else. Going to gym is great. Going to the dentist is wonderful. Getting an annual checkup is great. Going to your financial advisor is wonderful. Going to see a counselor is great. Counselors have helped me, but this will help you more than anything. Anything. And then the writer says, it's sharper, everyone say sharper, than any two-edged sword. You know, I've been, I've had surgery a number of times. I've got wounds from sports and all kind of stuff. And if somebody's going to cut on you, would you like for them to use a very sharp implement or to use a rusty soup can? I want the sharp one. It'll cut out the stuff that's life-threatening to you. It'll heal deep-seated emotional wounds. It cauterizes and stops bleeding. And it'll close open wounds in your heart. Let me say this, you have an enemy, and if you don't know, you don't have an enemy, uh, you better get your eyes open, and he wants you to bleed out, and he wants those wounds that your father gave you, or where you got divorced, or you got fired, or some other terrible thing happened to your family, the enemy wants to keep those wounds open. And bleeding, so you never heal, and you never find wholeness, and you never find your destiny. And let me tell you what, it is so sharp. It is sharper than anything on earth, that it will go to work in you, and you didn't even realize it. And then some of you at this service... The power of God's spirit and the power of his work, his word will do work in your heart and you may not even realize it until later on that the surgeon was here working on you. And it is piercing. Everyone say piercing, not son, piercing. It penetrates like a million dollar 
laser in a surgery center. And it goes right to the place of the deepest infection. Because the Holy Spirit knows where you need to work. It'll slice through barriers. It'll break up obstacles. And our enemy, the devil, has construction crews that do nothing but constantly 24-7 put up barriers in people's families, in churches, in nations, in our own heart toward God. And the word of God brings a conviction and points out those barriers and say, honey, let me help you. Honey, let me heal you. Now, this is one of my Christmas presents my wife gave me. This is Russia's latest battle tank. It's called the T-14, the Armada. It's state of the art. It costs $3.7 million a piece, and I'm glad she only gave me one. It's so pricey to the Russians whose economy is horrible that they were going to roll out 2300 but they could only afford 100 And in their incredible victory day parade where they salute their military, one of them died on the highway and they couldn't get it going again. This is two of the T-14s, but our country and other countries have developed the nastiest, orneriest, anti-tank weapon available, and it's this. It is an anti-tank armor-piercing round. You see the spike at the top? The spike is the part that does the damage, and it's about this long. I don't know what they make them, make them out of today, but they used to make them out of depleted uranium. That's bad stuff. And what actually kills the tank, punches through the tank, is kinetic energy. I don't understand how it works. This is a huge, thick wall at an exhibition, a couple of rounds went through it and punched a hole through that an army could run through it. Why are you telling me this, Steve? Because the book in your lap has much more power. And you've never read it. It is the ultimate Surgical tool of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. I want you to figure this out. The very smartest, the very wisest, the most gifted teacher, speaker, their words at very best do not perform like the Word of God can. Because it's living 
And it is active. And it is piercing. How deep does it pierce, Steve? To the smallest particle of the division between the soul and the spirit. Those are different things. Going all the way down to the joints and the marrow that helps your bones thrive. To quickly sum it up, God's word works on you where nothing else can touch. And Sunday morning is important. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it's far more important. Because if you only get God's word in a church service, you're going to be a spiritual child all your life. You see, no surgeon can work on your soul. It's invisible. No medical procedure can correct a bad attitude. You go to sleep, you wake up, you still got the bad attitude. Maybe worse. It can't open a closed mind. It can't fix a heart full of destructive lust. Or a rebellious spirit. Or deal with the hypocrisy that every one of us deal with. Can't do it. Can't touch greed. Can't touch hatred. Can't touch an unforgiving heart. But God's word can. God's word can. And then point number six, it has an ability that's amazing. It's able to judge or discern the secret thoughts and intentions that we all have. You see, I'm just going to confess, I'm not really good at discerning where I really am. I think I'm better than I am. Or I think I'm worse than I am. I think I'm this when I'm not that at all. And none of us that I know of are very good at that. Because we all have this business called lies in our head. Do you have any lies in your head? If you don't know that you have lies in your head, you've been lied to. You have a lot more than you know you do. Do you know what lies in your head are called in the Bible? Strongholds. And your grandmother may have had the same stronghold. She may have had a critical spirit. And your mother's got it too. And you got it. That's called a stronghold. Now we're fooled by false philosophies in our culture. And we all have blind spots. Do you turn to your neighbor and ask him, hey, do I have a blind spot? Go ahead. Do I have any blind spots? I don't know. We can't see them because they're what? We're blind. They're called blind spots. 
And we have assumptions that are unbiblical and wrong. One of my first jobs, I got a job at a radio station, and I remember it was AM, FM station, and when I went in on first day talking to the advertising director, he said, lesson number one, make no assumptions. Make no assumptions that that client has been called on. Make no assumptions that commercial has been recorded. Make no assumptions that that commercial is running at noon like he paid for it. But if you make assumptions and you're wrong, you're in trouble. And we make assumptions all the time about stuff and we're completely wrong. They're unbiblical. Jesus talked about how we have a tendency to point out the speck in other people's eyes when we have a power pole in our eye. We can't see it, but we see theirs. We can't see our own. Because it's hard to discern the difference between what the Holy Spirit is telling me that's truthful and what my flesh is telling me that is completely selfish. I mean, I may have religious language. I may even act humble when inside I'm full of pride. And there's also, this may sound weird coming from a preacher, but there's a fine line between what's righteous, which means it's right in God's eye, and what is unrighteous. Now, last week, if you weren't around, I may may suggest you listen to this crazy Christmas message I did last week from Revelation chapter 12 about what's coming in our future. The woman, the child, and the red dragon. And coming to our world and coming to our nation, there will be a power exerted by the red dragon who is Satan. And there is a human that will come to power. He is, he will rule much of the world. The scripture calls him the Antichrist. And you know what's crazy about all this? I believe it will all be cloaked in religious language. It'll flow through seminaries. Churches will adopt it right off the bat. Because we will have such a crisis in our country that this guy is going to come and have the answer. I think, you know, I'm not making predictions, but what we went through last year as a nation with this plague stuff. Airports closed, banks closed, schools closed, churches closed in one week. Government telling us what we had to do. Now, I've been vaccinated because I'm going to have to travel in missions, and I knew I wasn't traveling without it. But whenever a country and companies say, you're going to take this or you're not working, I think we're kind of getting set up. We're getting set up for the future. This is kind of a test case. Now, now here's the point of all this. Pay attention. Our country and churches and people that call themselves Christians are so biblically illiterate. We're going, not we, they, by the majority, will fall into that trap because they do not know what this book says. So I'm just trying to, it's not about this. I'm telling you, read the book. Read the book for yourself. 
And then it talks about heart. Now, why is the last phrase heart? Because practically every issue you will ever have and I will ever have, it's always a heart issue. Well, I got marriage problems. No, you don't have marriage problems. You have heart problems. Well, I got money problems. Honey, you don't have money problems. If I turned around and gave you a million dollars, it would be gone in 12 months and you'd be in the same place. You don't have money problems. You have heart problems. Well, I got a problem with my boss at work. You may, but your issue is it's your heart. What is Jesus saying to you to do? I want you to read this verse with me, please. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Everything flows out of your heart. This book keeps your heart close to God. This book gives you perspective. So, I'm making a recommendation. My family did not read the Bible growing up. My family did not pray. We were just good moral people who went to church because nobody ever spoke to us like this. Now, I'm telling you, the healthiest thing you can do is get a daily dose of this if you want to stay healthy on all levels and you want to prosper. What does prosper mean? It means you do well. Your marriage prospers. You prosper on the inside. You prosper in your friendships. Now, let me give you three pictures of God's word that will help you. First picture, it's like a mirror, a holy mirror. The mirror tells the truth about your attitudes. The book, it's a mirror. It talks about the rightness of your actions. Or have you ever got up one morning after reading the Bible and Boy, you were just convicted. Man, I should have never said that. What was I thinking? Or the kindness or lack of kindness of your words. Or the secrets of your thought life. Now, we won't take time to look at this today, but James chapter 1, 22, 23, 24, 25 talks about the mirror of God's word. He said, you know, if a man is a hearer of the word, but it doesn't affect him, it's not helping. It needs to go in here, then go through the heart. He looks at his natural face in the mirror, and he sees there's dirt on his face. And instead of wiping the dirt off his face, he quickly forgets and goes on about his business. This book is a mirror. And I and you need to be in it every day. I need to look at the mirror. And let the mirror, the Holy Spirit, tell me about what I need to change, what needs to be adjusted, because he's for me. The second picture is a spotlight. Everyone say spotlight. Now, a good flashlight, a good spotlight, is the best way to get through a treacherous path on a dark night. And that's our future. We don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen next year. And both dangers and opportunities. If my heart is not good, 
because I've not been in the mirror, I've not been with the searchlight, I will not, I will miss the opportunities to help people. And God is the one that set up the opportunities, but I just missed them because my heart was about me, not about him and others. And the searchlight will help you take course corrections. The secret to navigation is course corrections. Lord, what do I need to do this next year? How do I need to treat my husband differently? What should I do about my income this year? Now, here's a verse from Psalm 119. Would you say it with me, please? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you don't cut the light on, you miss it. You're in the dark. Now, this is the most important thing. Well, this is an important thing. Steve, are you telling me I'm going to open the book and I'm going to get specifics from the book? Like I should move to Scranton, Pennsylvania tomorrow? No. And don't do that. But what the book will do is prepare your heart when the Holy Spirit does tell you to move. So you don't mess up your journey. Consult with the map maker every single day. And it is a weapon that Satan hates above all others. He is afraid of this book. You need to draw the sword on him every single day. If you don't have a sword, you go to a fight, you're in trouble. Or you never pull the sword, you're in trouble. Or you don't know how to use the sword. If you pull the sword in the dark alley, you're in trouble. You need to learn to show yourself approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're no threat to Jesus. If you're a backslider, you're no no threat to Satan. You're no threat to Satan. If you're a nominal Christian, you're not much threat to Satan. But if you make a decision, you're going to follow Jesus. Then the fight's on. And you better carry your weapon. As a brand new Christian, 1972, I heard a speaker say this. I wrote it in my Bible, and I have it to this day. He said this, this book will keep you from evil. And evil will keep you from this book. This is what I wanted to tell you earlier. Your little pastor has spent hours, thousands of hours helping people. I cannot recall counseling with a single person who wasn't doing well for protracted length of time that was a consistent reader of the scriptures sometimes I'll ask them are you a follower of Christ yes I am are you reading the Bible consistently no I'm not do you have a strong prayer life no I do not 
Are you in a strong church? No. Are you in a Bible study where you're growing? No, I'm not. I go, duh. Let's fix those things. So you're not a victim anymore. You're a victor. Now I'm going to make seven suggestions. You've never read the Bible. Don't know how to read the Bible. It's a mystery book to you. How do I start? I'm going to give you seven suggestions. Find a readable version. This is a paperback English standard version. We have some of them out on the counter. I'll give you one. It's readable. It's accurate. It will feed your soul. Next, mark it up. Everyone say mark it up. If you have a pen in your hand, the Holy Spirit will go, she's paying attention. Second, if you're new to the faith or you don't know much about the faith like I did growing up in church, New folk should read the New Testament through several times before they tackle the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just as true, just as powerful, but a lot of the truth is in symbolism. And if you don't know what they're talking about, you'll get lost. Point number three, good habit. Before you start reading the Bible... Pray this simple prayer before you read. Lord, today, teach me. I'm listening. Teach me. And if you ask, if you do that short prayer, he will show up and teach you. Four, read when you are most fresh. I'm a morning person. If I don't get my Bible reading done in the morning, it may not get done. Five, don't read randomly. Well, I don't have much time. I'll read here in Chronicles. Okay, I don't know what that means. The next day or four weeks later, you go, I'll read a little bit in Psalms. And then one day you'll read in uh, Matthew, Judas hung himself. (laughs) Don't read randomly or you'll grow randomly. You know what this is? It's called a random picture. Random guy. I want you to read methodically. What does methodically mean? You have a plan. You're following a method. Use a card as a bookmarker. I do this every Monday morning. I'll write down the days of the week, and I'll write down how many chapters I read every day. I will maybe put two months' worth on a card, four by six. Why do you do that? If I say it's important. And I look back, and a whole month later, I've not spent any time in the Bible, then it must not be important. Six, set a goal for how many chapters you're going to read daily. New Christians, I go, just, honey, one chapter a day. Read one chapter. You get where you enjoy that, go to two. You get where that means a lot, go to three. Start with just one chapter. Don't do too much. If you miss a day, don't panic. Get up and read the next day. It takes about 22 
chapters a week to get through the Bible in a year. About three chapters a day. Seven. Worship team, would you guys come on out, please? Don't try to understand everything in the book. Don't try to understand everything you're reading. It will mess you up. Because some of the stuff is for later, not for today. Try to remember one thing and focus on that as you go away to pray. And remember, just reading, even if you don't remember anything, you will feel stronger every single time because it's living and active. It is living, so it feeds your living spirit. It feeds your living soul, your mind, will, and emotion. Since I used to be bound by depression... I found my depression pretty much vanished with my Bible reading because the Bible is living and it is active. Let me tell you this story before we close in prayer. A house I built uh, 30 years ago. I had a contractor who just walked off the job and he'd done half the job and I was in trouble. I had a friend that had done some work. He'd built a deck for me. And he told me, you know, my dad has a crew. He can finish that up for you. So I said, well, tell your dad to come over and talk to me. So his dad came over. He said he could do it. My new friend who was about 75 was a raging alcoholic. And he had a big old ugly mouth on him. And he was an angry man, if there ever was an angry man. But he did my work for me. And we became friends. I kind of like rough old boys, because I used to be a rough old boy. And for seven years, I pursued my friend. I ate at his house. We went to lunch. Tried to get him to church. Wouldn't come to church. I went over one night to tell him about Jesus and share the gospel. He was so drunk, he couldn't stand up. And I realized, oh, this is not the night to share Jesus with him, even though I still tried. He didn't remember I was there. After seven years of pursuing my friend, I'm driving home one day, and I get this nudge from the Holy Spirit, drive to this town and go see so-and-so. I said, Lord, I'm tired. I've already been trying for seven years. For goodness sake, give me a break. Let me go when I feel better. Go right now. I said, okay, but you don't know what you're talking about. So I pull up in the guy's driveway. It was summertime. He was sitting in the carport in one of those lawn chairs. He saw me pull up. He stood up, walked out to me. I held my hand out. He shook my hand. And here's what he said. He said, Steve, I'm ready. I went, ready for what? I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm ready. I'm ready for what? You want to lunch? He said, I'm ready to get saved and give my heart to Jesus. I said, you are not? Don't mess with me. I'm tired. Don't tell me that. Are you drunk? I wondered, am I drunk? He said, no, I'm serious. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I go, well, when? He said, today. I said, today? 
here in your carport? He said, today in the carport. So I'm kind of still mystified. So we're holding hands. I lead him in a 60-second prayer of commitment to the Lord. I didn't even know if anything happened. I said, I'll be back to your house Thursday night. Let's sit down and talk about it. Came back to his house, explained what I thought he did. He kept nodding, made sense. I said, well, we'll figure out what to do. He was so ornery, so wicked, so angry. I couldn't let anybody else from the church go because I was afraid he was, he'd mess, mess all over him. I mean, he was just a rough guy. That Sunday, he walked in church. He'd had a haircut. He bought him a three-piece suit. He looked like a Boston lawyer or a mafia boss. I didn't, I didn't, didn't recognize him. He walked in, sat on the front row, and his beautiful wife came in too. She gave her heart to Jesus that Sunday. And I said, well, let me help you grow in your faith. So I'll come to your house and we'll do a Bible study together. Again, I didn't know if he wouldn't punch me. I found out my friend who had made millions and lost millions couldn't read and write. And he was abused as a child. So I went every Wednesday to his house for an hour for one year. And here's the honest truth. That man and his wife grew faster than anybody I ever mentored in my entire life. It amazed me. It amazed me, the questions. And he couldn't read and write, and his wife barely, I don't even know if she finished high school. Here's what he would do every morning. After breakfast, he would turn to his sweet little wife and say, Mama, let's read the Bible. And she'd read the Bible to him. And he was so smart, he couldn't read it, but he got every single thing she read in six months he finished they finished reading the bible together after two years he came to me one day in church said we're i don't know if we're doing good or not i said what are you talking about we just finished reading the bible five times in two years i get well maybe you can pick up the pace a little bit today both of them are in heaven I want to make the same offer to you. I don't know where you are, but this book is living. It is active. It will take you places you never believed you could attain if you'll make the commitment to read it. I'm going to, here's the invitation. If you're willing, I'm going to ask the Lord Jesus to give you a hunger for God's word you've never had before. If we ask him, he'll do it. I promise you, he'll do it. But the second thing is you got to keep your end of the bargain. You got to take the best 30 minutes or the best hour of the day and say, Lord, I'm going to be in your book. And I'm going to learn to pray. So if you're willing to do that, I want you to stand right now. And I want to pray for you. 
that God will give you that hunger. Maybe you got it, but you want more hunger. And you're willing. You could be age 14 or age 84, but you're willing to give the best part of the day to this which is living and active. And then pray. Father, I thank you that your word is true. The power of your spirit and the power of your word has gone out. And opened hearts, brought conviction. And there's an energy like never before. So as these have asked, release today a hunger for the rest of their life to know you through the word of God. And Father, give them a strategy to stay true to giving you the best part of the day so they will grow strong and wise and holy. So release it today by your power. In Jesus' name. Last song, let's stand and let's worship. next year, I want to know Jesus better than I've ever known him before. Is that the cry of your heart as well? What would it look like if we all pressed into him together? Because he truly is worthy of our lives. And Lord, we just want to be more consecrated to you. Teach us, Lord, what it looks like to be set apart. Lord, we long to know you more. Take us deeper in the secret place this year. Transform us. Pray you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you more in this next year. Jesus' name.
out together sing I surrender all I surrender all all to you and all to thee my blessed Savior surrender all. Let's sing that again. And I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee my blessed Thank you for your word being the greatest foundation that we build our life upon that rock. The storms of life will hit us, but we'll be in good shape. So Lord, help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're ready to make a decision for Christ, there's people on both sides that will help you. If you need prayer for healing, let people pray with you. Have a great day. Please pick up your children.
Thank you for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see